Welcome to episode eight of Drive the Bid, the podcast brought to you by AutoHunter.com. Apologies. We have missed a few weeks. There was some quarantine issues and then some PTO issues. And this is the first time that all three of us have been here in the capacity where we could record a podcast in a little bit of time. So we apologize. We normally will not go three weeks in between episodes. It was just a typical 2022 story right there, I think. And uh, with the two things we had off, the PTO we had off and the time we had away from the office, it uh, just took some of our time. So here we are catching up. We missed a few weeks. Not going to do it again. As always, before we start, just a reminder, we are brought to you by autohunter.com and classiccars.com. Autohunter.com, the seven-day collector car online auctions. Car goes live on a Monday, ends on a Monday. You can set a reserve. Not necessarily just a Monday. I'm saying that's a seven-day cycle. Every weekday. Every weekday, Monday through Friday. But if your car goes live on one weekday, it ends the following weekday, the same day. So seven-day online auctions, you can set a reserve. There is no buyer's, sorry, there's no seller's premium. It's only a buyer's premium of 6.5%. Nothing to the seller other than their initial listing fee of $129.99, which, if available, does include a 30-minute professional photo shoot. So an excellent opportunity to sell your collector car online and get it in front of the entire world of automotive enthusiasts. We've had buyers from as far away as Australia in Switzerland, in Japan, and everywhere you can think of in the world have bought cars from us from somewhere in the United States or Canada and had them shipped to them. So it's a lot more exposure than your local Craigslist or Facebook marketplace or whatever. Plus, we also do a lot of marketing for your car and get out in front of the right eyes and the right people to see that are looking for that particular kind of vehicle. So autohunter.com, the seven-day online collector car auction. Also, our sister site is ClassicCars.com, which is a more traditional classified ad. You pay the one-time fee, your car goes up with your photos and your description, and the car stays there until it sells and you tell us to pull it down. So that's an excellent, excellent tool as well. Uh, the big difference there is it's not a seven-day auction. You write your own description, you take your own pictures. Over on Auto Hunter, which is the auction, we have a team of writers that write the description of your car. Again, if it's available in your area, we do offer the 30-minute pro photo shoot, and we promote the car a little bit heavier than it gets done over at ClassicCars.com, so it's a little, little bit different of an experience. Well, we should also point out that if you're looking to buy a collector vehicle, we actually also have over 35,000 cars currently live on ClassicCars.com, and we've got a fantastic variety of cars that come through regularly. As we said, every weekday, we have new cars going live on the site, yep. um, anywhere from 928s to classic cars from the American section, including even going back to things like Model Ts and Model yeah, I'm looking at our Vipers. website right now. We have a 1935 Ford Cabriolet hot rod and a 1987 928 on the same page here. So yep. Viper, all that all is currently live right now. Mm -hmm. Anything anybody would consider a collectible or a special interest vehicle could potentially be found on autohunter.com. So yeah, no matter the Good age, times. you know, vintage, late model, in between. Boats we've got or a little trailers. bit of everything. Yeah, yeah, we've yeah done boats and trailers too. Yeah, we, we had listed a pretty neat Chris Craft last week. Mm -hmm. Pretty cool stuff. All right, moving on. Into the episode. Official official business over. On to chatting. We thought we'd do something fun this week. Uh, initially, the idea, which I think came from Jeff, was that each of us would write a question, and we would ask the team the answer to this question. Uh, Jeff, being the overachiever that he can be sometimes, 
uh, went ahead and wrote four or five questions. Maybe six. You How can't many did you disturb the creative process. Right. Um, I wrote four. Two of them are very generic, but then uh, I have one really good one and then one joking question. So we decided that we were going to just ask Jeff his questions this week. And maybe if this goes well, then there'll be a question episode where Derek asks the questions of us and one where I ask the questions of you. Now, Jeff, your opinion also can be stated here. You don't only ask I, any oh, question, I you can also will. answer the question. So let's uh, let's get this rolling and uh, see how it goes, and hopefully it works. Hopefully it's be a new segment of uh, Ask the Co-Hosts, and maybe eventually we'll, ask, we'll open up that episode with questions from our listeners. So we're doing just my questions, then? That's what we discussed. Oh, okay. Yeah, I totally missed that discussion. Okay. Um, all right. Um, so this this uh, first one should be pretty if easy for you guys. it doesn't work out, we'll wing it. We'll put our own answers back, all our questions in, too. Perfect. Um, so to start with this, um, the first question for you guys is, are you familiar with Joe Walsh? And what Maserati is he driving that could do 185? Ah, so this is uh, an age-old question. An age-old question. Uh, none of them. None of them could do 185. None of them could do 185 miles per hour. Ah, as the caveat. Ah. <laughs> was Joe Walsh driving a Euro market? He also does Maserati. Yeah. Or was he driving an American market Maserati? And was he doing 185? kph kilometers was he going per hour downhill and were the winds in his favor or was he doing 185 miles per hour maybe he had a maserati race car but he was driving it on the road that's why he lost his license and now he can't drive hmm. <laughs> so 185 kilometers an hour is 114 miles per hour or just a, that's almost much more 150 for the maseratis at the time and what year did that song came out yep that's what come we have out. to google what year did that song um, come out I, yeah this early is, 80s i'm guessing i thought it was 70s but that's okay. Uh, so Joe Walsh, 185. That song, uh, Life's Been Good is the name of the song, I yep, think. You're, that's correct. Uh, Came in out in 1978. 1978 oh, correct. Okay. Wow. So in 1978, the Maserati lineup was not too crazy. There were probably, what, some Ghiblis? There weren't a lot of cars that could do much more than 115 miles an hour in 1978. So, so you had the Maserati Kasman, the Bora, and the Merrick, and they're mm-hmm. all kind of the same wedgie-shaped car. So, wedgie-shaped. I like wedgie. that. They all, uh, they're all the same design language. Yeah, 70, yeah. 70 sports cars, they all kind of had that wedge that wedge design, that Bertone kind of classic, I don't know, flying wedge kind of design to them. Um, the Bora, I think they all do 114 miles an hour. So if Joe Walsh is doing 180 five kilometers an hour he could have been driving any contemporary maserati or any early maserati if he's doing 185 miles an hour it was in a dream and he wasn't actually driving because he didn't have a license because <laughs> he lost his license it, it was all a ruse yeah, yeah. It was all a ruse from day one so I, I i don't know what kind of maserati he was driving <laughs> um it sounds to me like where this is a question that will not have any answers unfortunately today but between him and Sammy Hagar, one of them did 185, and one of them couldn't do 55. Yeah. So, and we know Sammy Hagar it's was driving. What was Sammy Hagar driving? Musicians just don't know how fast they're what going. What was Sammy Hagar driving that he couldn't drive 55? An Iseta? I don't know. An or Iseta, a broken yeah. car? Yeah. No, that one he couldn't get to 55. The thing was he couldn't stay at 55. He always wanted to break the 55 mile an hour speed limit. But there's a music video for I Can't Drive 55 mm-hmm. in which Sammy Hagar is driving a certain car. Yeah, but nothing is as it seems in music and automotive because we're getting off topic now. But in Van Halen, in the song Panama, the car you hear revving during the sort of like bridge part of the song okay. is actually a Lamborghini Miura. 
Is it really? Yes. It's uh, uh, specifically, I believe it is Van Halen's. Okay. Eddie Van Halen's. Yeah. Eddie Van Halen's car. So, but do you know what car he was driving in the music video for I Can't Drive 55? If we're going music video cars. I, I did at one point, but it's it's not coming to mind. It was black. It was Italian. Oh, it was um, Italian. Kintosh? Nope. Hmm. I mean, because I just said Mira, part of me wants to say Mira. It was a Ferrari BB512i. Oh. Okay. So it was like the kind of looked like a 308 at first glance or a 328, but was much more, much faster. Isn't that wild? These are bands that I would almost consider, you know, like when I think of these bands, I think of playing this music in like a 60s muscle car. So, well, that's just because we grew up in America. Of course, they're both Italian. Yeah, well, that's true too. So, so and if they were, if, if, Eddie Van Halen, if, if Sammy Hagar was not in Van Halen and he didn't have millions and millions of dollars, he probably would have been driving a 68 Cutlass. Yeah, well, Van Halen's what, have Dutch? Been, I don't know where Andy Van Halen is from. I think he's but Dutch. They're an American band, so I don't know where he hails from originally. Uh, I'm not. I'm not that deep in my Eddie, my Van Halen knowledge. I apologize. I just happen to know what Sammy Hagar was driving in the video. Right. So uh, anyway, yeah, it was a uh, Ferrari BB, so a Brolin a Boxer, which is the the flat yeah, motor car, cool. super yeah. cool car. At, at first glance, it looks like a th- you know, 308, but it's right. It's that same family of way way cooler and way rarer and way faster. So and they they had the tri taillights on both sides, right? No, twin. Oh, okay. Um, I don't, I don't know which one else. I'm thinking of. I, I think it was oh, yeah. around that time they had the three. It could have been. I'm not, I'm not sure what car you're talking about. We're going to have to. Uh, it's amazing how many, how much, maybe we should make a, like its own separate video about cars and in, in music references and stuff like that. Cause literally this morning we were talking about Ludacris and R129 Mercedes as well. So yeah, I like the sound of that. It's probably its own episode. I mean, an episode about cars, cars and music is huge. Yes. Cause you could go all the way back to you could literally focus on just genres. I mean, you can go back to like, you know, Sinatra's cars, like it's all true. one There's thing so that musicians do is they make a lot of money. And one thing that people make cars. money that do is they buy cool cars. Buy cool cars. <laughs> yep. So that totally makes sense. That's true. You could even do cooking focused episodes. I know Guy Fieri is pretty famous for his yellow cars. It's funny though. All his yellow cars, his most famous car is the one from the diners, dives and drive-ins. And it's a red Camaro. Yeah. Camaro. It's a Camaro. Yeah. Yeah. Red 68 Camaro. Uh, anyway, so yeah, Brooklyn a boxer, two taillights. I just confirmed because you had me thinking, but I was like, nah, there's no way, but he has two taillights. And then the end, answer to the question is Joe Walsh doesn't know what he's talking about, or it's in kilometers. It's more than likely in kilometers. Specify. Yeah. Or he just used that number so that it rhymed with drive. Could just be. But you could have done anything that ended in five. Yeah. yeah. My yeah, Maserati true. does five. <laughs> I lost my license now I can't drive yeah <laughs> so it works but no Maserati matter what does 55 yeah. yeah because this Maserati would do all of the numbers that end in 5 or, until yeah, you get to 95 probably yeah. 135 is probably where you start getting right. uh, a little little off but anyway moving on well I think the 60s Maserati race cars if he again was rolling in one of those, race cars easily. different story this was more than likely well, a street no, this, car. Sorry, the street legal race cars. How like Ferrari 250 GTOs were all also okay. street cars. Quote unquote race cars. I'm forgetting cars. the famous one, but like the, the, the 65 Maseratis and stuff. Those, the really good the looking ones. The birdcage cars and stuff? Uh, yeah, but the, what is the one I'm thinking of? Is the spider, the first spider. Not the traditional spider you think of, but sure. the first spiders. Um, okay. Maserati had some cool cars in the 60s. I mean, the, oh, even the, 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 cars. the, the 60s the, Quattro I would argue, Oh, so good. 60s Maserati is on the level of Ferrari. Oh, yeah. And 60s Ferrari, Lamborghini, and Maserati all shared designers throughout. So it makes sense. And yeah, the, the great 
what, what do they call it? The great firing and stuff when Ferrari laid off everybody and they went to Lamborghini and other companies and uh, there, was a lot of, there was a lot of uh, collusion between yeah. people employed yes, at these they're companies all related sure. and all the design firms yeah. and all that. Anywho, well, the design firms were probably started by people that left those companies. Well, most of the design firms weren't also Ferrari used, you know, Pininfarina mm-hmm. or Bertone or Ghia or any of the other, mm-hmm. you know, design houses. Bertone did the Mira, Italy. I think, right? Yes. Yep. Um, and most of them didn't have their own in-house, you know, design team for the basic design. I was usually put out to an outside source. So Right. And, yeah, Pagani worked for Lamborghini. Yep. Oh, yeah. And the composites. Yep. Okay. Anywho, next question. There's so much to That's cars. Good. No, I, I, endless I like that topics. we go that much off topic. It's good. And, so. and I'm down <laughs> with the music episode because that's, that yeah. would be fun. Oh, yeah. Yes. I mean, there's so many. Like Nick Mason cars from Pink Floyd is a huge car guy. So many different directions. Yeah. So good. So this one, I'm really proud of this one. This is the question I really wanted to ask. What decade has the best or most interesting cars? 60s. Okay, so Brad, start that conversation. 60s. Why, why 60s? Because cars had become to a level of mod, mod, modern modernity. Or, yeah, <laughs> I tried to say his word in another episode, didn't I? <laughs> a, a modern enough level where they required less maintenance. As they had some creature role. comforts. They had some more creature comforts. Air conditioning was a thing that became more commonly seen for people that live in like the desert like us. Um, they were more powerful. They had still a huge flair for design. There wasn't a lot of corporate penny pinching yet. The government hadn't stepped in and said, these cars need to be able to smash into each other at five miles an hour and oh, do minimal yeah. damage. Rep, so we still had... before. Yep. Yeah, we still had nice little trim lithe bumpers. There was just so many options for so many things. If you wanted a drag race car, you could go to a Dodge dealer and say, I would like a Polara, which is like a normal everyday car. You would bring up Dodge from the 60s. But I want to put a 413 Max Wedge twin car cross ram in it. And I'd be like, okay, come (laughs) back back in a week and a half. You'll have that. Do you want a four speed or do you want automatic? Uh, do you want slicks? We'll probably give you slicks at the dealership too. Yeah. <laughs> so you could still do that. But if you weren't into drag racing and you were into sports car racing, you could go to an import dealer and buy a 356 or a 911 in later years or a TR3 and take off the windshield, throw some tape on the headlights and put a shoe polish number on the door and go out and run your local you know, SCCA showroom stock racing with it True. and then put the windshield back on and drive it to work Monday morning. Yep. True. Super cool. Era. Drag racing too. Yeah. Super cool era. I think to have been of a <clears throat> driving age and have enough money to play with the stuff that was available because it's just, it was kind of like, what a, couldn't it, you was, do? it was kind of a renaissance I think of cars because you know, in the forties things kind of, and I, I don't want to say every car looked the same, but it was a very standard practice. Like cars were very similar. In the 50s, he started getting into the more flair for the design. You know, it wasn't just the higher end stuff. Like in the 20s and 30s and 40s, you had, you know, your Cadillacs and your They all look so similar. But the the ones that had the flair for design were exclusive, expensive cars. And they still are. And they still are for a good reason. Uh, When you get into the 50s, you started getting the more design. And then you got into the 60s and there was just, I think the cars really became more modern at that point they're still vintage obviously but they're more modern like if you got an a 1964 olds cutlass and a 1988 olds cutlass 
they both had full frame or circulating ball steering leaf springs in their not leaf springs but um you know control arm double a arm front suspension and a solid axle in the rear i mean there wasn't much change they were coil sprung but just solid axles why i meant not leaf spring right so there was just not much change between those eras of cars and you're talking a solid 25 30 years of the same cars there were some foreign cars in the 80s they were obviously more advanced than an old cutlass that i brought up i only brought it up because i the drove 80s one. had a lot of development they, they sure did you so, can thank group b for that part of it uh emissions were another part of it like they mm-hmm. had to realize how to how do we make cars make emissions and then also make them get decent fuel economy and also have enough power to haul around all this extra equipment we're putting into them because they're getting heavier and heavier and heavier mm-hmm. so yeah, I, I also love, listen, I 60s I would pick as ideal. Mm-hmm. From a personal collection, most of my cars are from the 70s. Uh, and that's probably because when I started getting to an age where I was able to collect cars and have money to buy more than one car, mm-hmm. the cars I could afford were all from the 70s. It's mm-hmm. <laughs> probably a big part of it. Yep. And I like 70s cars because they still have the chrome bumpers. God, the early 70s were tough. I still like them um, because they still have the chrome bumpers. They still look vintage. And in... 2022 you can make them perform like an earlier car or a later car pretty easily so i i would say 60s is still my favorite as far as everything goes if i had to pick one era that i could only own cars from it would be the 60s because i could buy a 60 chevy or pontiac and have mm-hmm. that big american boat mm-hmm. and do a traditional custom style with it i could have a tr3 i could have an mgb but i could also have a some of the most Big beautiful cars barracuda or mm-hmm. if i was of money i could have a big round fender 1960 ferrari or mm-hmm. i could have a dino or a was daytona come out in 69 i think 70 mm-hmm. or wedgie i don't know what year that was but what i'm saying is that yeah. the style the styling changes between 1960 and 1969 you could have a wide variety of cars yes so you go to 1960 you bought a 356 you go to 1969 you have a kit cars yep. that were available but what i'm saying is 356 in 1960 and then by 69 you're a 911 and there's not mm-hmm. too many cars that developed that much in that kind of a span of time like a 356 is a pretty antiquated car yeah, 911 was where it's and at. And 911 is like groundbreaking oh, when it came out. It's a whole different car. It's mm-hmm. it's the same basic car as a 356, but it's like actually fast and it's actually mm-hmm. exotic we, we at the time. Yeah. yeah, we added two cylinders, made it way better. And I didn't get into the motorcycles of the era because 60s motorcycles are where it's at. I mean, you style a brand new motorcycle after a 60s bike and it still looks cool. Cafe racers. Yep. Yeah, the cafe racer style, the universal Japanese motorcycle, the UJM, they call it. That started coming on huge in the 60s. The Honda CBs, um, all those things were all late 60s. The British stuff like the Nortons and the Triumphs and the Ducatis. Triumph is better for cars, in my opinion, but they're still around making motorcycles, so I guess I was wrong. You were wrong. Yeah, but... But anyway, that's my answer. Okay. Derek? Derek? Era. Cars. My first instinct, my first thought was like yours, the 60s. Um, And... I, I look at so many cars from the 60s and the first thought that comes into my mind is, you know, they, they just can't make them look like that, make them look mm-hmm. the way they used to, you know, because, mm-hmm. yeah, you got the Stingrays, you've got the Italian cars. Sure. I mean, and you have big boats like you did in the 50s, but, you know, certain land yacht cars in the 50s kind of looked goofy, whereas in yep. the 60s, you know, like you look at a like a slab-sided like Lincoln Continental, it's a giant car, but it doesn't have certain 
visual excesses to it. I mean, it has a presence, but it doesn't have, you know, like giant fins, things like that. Um, and then, yeah, you don't have, obviously, the uh, energy crisis uh, playing a role in 60s cars the way it did in the 70s. You don't have, yeah, like Brad was saying, you don't have, uh, you know, uh, the body-colored bumpers, the five-mile-an-hour restrictions, things like that. There was a more of a purity to it, you know, yeah, chrome bumpers. And then, you know, one thing that I always think of as far as, like, older cars compared to, like, 80s, 90s cars I like a lot of 80s and 90s cars, but, you know, it's the use of plastics, you know, whereas you look at older cars, obviously there's, you know, synthetic material or plastics or whatever, but it doesn't seem like the whole car is made out of them, you know, like there seems to be, again, like a sort of purity to it, you know, like there's more metallic there's touches. To be said for having a metal dashboard that you can smash your head and do it in the car accident. <laughs> what a way to go. Well, <laughs> safety was not in the question because if you watch that, I don't know if you guys have seen that. There's a video that the national whatever safety sure. thing released of like a 1960s GM vehicle. Well, it was a few years ago. Doing, it was like a 98 Malibu crash. Yeah, you know, doing like a crash test. 60, 60 Impala. Yeah, and the 60s Impala was considerably worse well, off. There's a there's a couple of issues with that video. Um, if you want to get into that, the 60 Impala, when you see it hit, is like an explosion of rust flakes. Oh. So I also don't know how nice that car was underneath as far as like <laughs> right. absorbing the impact. There's absolutely no doubt that the newer Malibu that hit it was a safer vehicle to get in a car accident. Right. I'm not saying that it was staged because it wasn't. That's, yeah. That's the yeah, um, the National Traffic Safety Bureau. Yeah, that, those yeah. guys. Um, there's no question that the newer the car, the more safe it is. That's just that's just development as it goes. And yeah. I can't put that into a conversation about what era I like the most because it's, it's an acceptable risk by driving. Yeah, old and, cars. That's, and that's what it is. You can't live like your life in a bubble, right? You know what <laughs> I mean? You have to do. You have to do what makes you happy and and have that understood risk. You know, some people like to ride motorcycles and bicycles in the street, and it's dangerous. It is. But they're not going to not do it because they might get hurt. You know, right. you're not going to not get up and walk to the store because you might get hit by a bus. So it's kind of the same thing. Like, every day I get into a, a vintage car to drive it, and know I, I know that I don't have airbags, and know that mm -hmm. I might have less of a crumple zone and a passenger safety, you know, crush zone that a new car would have, but... You, you adjust your driving accordingly. You're a little bit more aware. You're a little bit more alert. You make well, sure you're paying attention to those sort of around calculated you. calculated risk. Which is one of the things I like about 60s cars is that they all have very thin A pillars and very thin B pillars and C pillars. You can see the everything around you. fantastic. However, that also means the car is not as safe because it yes. rolls over on its roof. Yep. There's, no, there's no support. Oh, it's a broken glass. <laughs> and then the steering column, you know. Uh, by the 60s, they had collapsible steering columns at some point in the 60s. I don't know when. And by 67, I think it was 67 where it was standard to have the uh, dual piston or sorry, the dual circuit brake braking systems, which again, that's one of those things that we could do a whole episode actually about upgrading safety equipment in vintage cars. One right. of the big things you can do on these earlier cars with like a single circuit brake servo. I think we touched on it briefly in the, the upgrades yeah. for that you could do that affects value and yep. stuff. It's the change to a, a dual a dual circuit system. So you have that safety net of if you lose a brake line, you don't lose all your brakes. Right. So but yeah, I didn't think about any of that when I thought my favorite era was the sixties. I was just going purely on 
style. It's the least yeah. exciting yeah. aspect. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think most people consider safety when they go, why do I want to buy a car from the 60s? I don't Which think Which is funny because I did go reliability because they required less maintenance than a 50s car. You know, most 50s cars the, still required like greasing of ball joints every few thousand miles. And I don't think a lot of people have anything good to say, though, about Italian 60s cars for reliability. Not all of them, just some of them. I think fix it again, Tony for Fiat came around in the sixties. <laughs> I'm sure it did. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, sorry, we interrupted you, Derek there. So continue on with your favorite era of cars. Oh no. I mean, that was, that was pretty much it, you know? Um, yeah, just great lines. And then there were certain, um, considerations that just weren't on the horizon at that point. So it contributed to a sort of purity, whether it's design or engineering or, you know, things like that. So you're saying 60s as well. So you guys both yeah. say 60s. Okay. Yeah. So I also love the 60s, but I want to play devil's advocate for a bit here. So I'm going to go ahead and cross off everything prior to the 60s because while there's, of course, interesting stuff, like you mentioned, Brad, that's just not it. The 70s, I think the problem with that is 74 to sort of 78 was a lapse of how do we deal with these new restrictions. And so they couldn't figure it out for a little bit. Um, so there's a lot of terrible stuff. Now the 80s. I do like the 80s a lot. And sure, no. I drive a car from the 80s. Sure. And Brad, you have some stuff as well. I, I, again, that's why I said I, if I had to choose one decade, it was the 60s, but I own stuff from the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. So, yeah. The, well, the 80s are really good because there's a lot of interesting car design still. The, we had the essentially the advent of wide body flender, fenders for motorsport. Okay. Um, started to get introduced a lot more. The 944 that was big Quattros. in the 70s with the IMSA stuff. Yeah. You had the big square IMSA kits they used to sell fiberglass copies of for street cars. Ew. At, oh, they were cool. These are factory kits though in the 80s. Oh, for sure. Factory wide but bodies. But uh, it all came from the IMSA style race cars and the GTU style race cars from the 70s. So, like, there's a 320i BMW with these huge square flares. Don't, don't poke holes in my flaws, man. It's good. Don't, don't, don't look at those. Don't your flaws? Yes, don't. Just ignore it. <laughs> okay. It, leave it be. Um, but the 80s, a lot of technology advances. We start to see cars are now becoming what we know in our current modern era. 100%. Um, we're starting to see what that looks like in the 80s cars. We now have a lot of things like power windows, uh, a lot of modern luxuries. And that's why I think a lot of people tend to like 80s cars. So, we have fuel injections They're pretty well to sorted. Live with. For yeah, a, fuel, fuel injection is pretty well sorted. Um, we have better computers that kind of figure out timing and cars are more efficient in general. And we kind of have a little bit more horsepower than we did in the 70s um, with emissions and all that. So I think the 80s is a really good one to look at. And then this is where it gets really controversial. 90s were great, but just not for the U.S. So that's why I think they kind of fall out because it wasn't great for everybody. JDM obviously had a lot of success. But modern day... I feel like we are actually living in a really good time for cars. And while I know that can be controversial, as a lot of us that love old cars, there's a lot of stuff that is very similar to the 60s. The fact that you can buy a Hellcat or a Demon from the factory is amazing. The fact that we have hypercars, which are producing a new barrier of what we consider the top car, so to speak, in terms of performance. And you can just buy these. All you need is money. And you can buy these vehicles oh, so that, that are pesky, now accessible. Easy thing yeah. <laughs> well, e- that aside, you know, some of us have figured our, that stuff out better than others. But um, what I'm saying is, I feel like there's a, again huge diversity, and some of these hypercars are also very extreme looking. 
um, that you wouldn't think you could do with modern safety standards and things that are necessity. Yeah, I think they get some passes on some of that stuff because of low production for sure. And some of them do fail. The 2019 Corvette one was not allowed in Europe because it did not pass the pedestrian safety rating. So you can't hit. It's not safe to hit people with your 2019 one <laughs> Remember that, everybody. All right. You will go to jail. Yeah, you will. <laughs> But you have 719 horsepower to escape the police. <laughs> Unofficially, that is not a recommendation. That's the, <laughs> always pull, condone that. Always, always pull over. Uh, I might be the worst influence of the podcast, but that's okay. Um, so I, I think the current era is really good, especially because the reliability, which you had mentioned earlier, Brad. Oh, I mean, it's is obviously now the best like now. an all-time high. Yeah, um, as, as it should be. If we were had less reliable cars now than we had in the 60s and 70s, we'd be doing something wrong. So I'm glad True. it's more reliable now. I'm glad you can buy almost any. I, and I've said this before. I, I don't think you can buy a bad car. Like it used to be like you buy a car bad and people in the sense that it's too numb. No, bad in the sense that it's unreliable or it's a bad car to a non car enthusiast who's just going out to buy a car. It'd be impossible for them to go to a dealership and buy a car that was going to be uh, a problem. You know, there's no more that cars. I mean, there's still lemons. Sure. There's still mm-hmm. cars that you might have been unlucky. built on a bad day or yep. there's a problem with that car. Just like you could buy a TV and it doesn't work. Same yep. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But overall, there's no more bad cars. You know, there's no car that, oh, don't buy one of those. The head gasket's going to go. Don't buy one of those. The transmission's going to fail. Uh, Ford Fiesta. Other than that, there's, right. no, <laughs> there's no bad, there's no really no bad Four cars 60s. out there. Every, <clears throat> every car is reliable enough that obviously through the you know, longer warranty periods that we have now too, mm-hmm. um, there's no, there's no issue with buying any car. So on any side of the price market as well. No, that's what I mean. Whether you buy the cheapest car on the market, a stripped out Nissan Versa with crank windows. Mm-hmm. Actually, can you buy that car anymore? I think um, you can. So when I worked at AutoZone in 2018, 19, okay. you are essentially commercial vehicles still had crank up windows sure at least for the fiestas yep um the colorado i think had electric windows still yep i know that a versa could crank windows up until if they still make versus i don't know but the last body style one i knew somebody who was like one of the cheapest car in the market and they like flew halfway across the country to get it and they bought wow. a brand new nissan versa with crank windows and a manual transmission and like that's actually kind of cool and like a it, weird, in a weird esoteric like, put, way. Yeah, put yourself yeah. through misery intentionally. Yeah, I think I think they paid like fourteen two or something brand new out the door at the time. That, I don't like, even think that's the cheapest car. It is. It is was it? the time. Yeah, it, it, they're not. They're pretty kind of expensive. Well, I know, but I'm even pretty new sure Mirage is like sixteen seventeen. Pretty right sure I helped now. somebody buy a Honda Civic EX, which is the the cheapest Civic, and I think it was really close to that. Is what we got it down to. Oh. Down to is under MSRP then. Yes. Which is a different story. Okay. Cheap, the yes. cheapest car, the cheapest MSRP you could get was at the time a Nissan Versa. Huh. So anyway. Um, but it, yeah. Which obviously is why we're talking day. about modern day being the best because you can go out and buy a Nissan Versa. Well, and nothing has been made better so, than a Nissan Versa in the yeah. entire hundreds of years of cars <laughs> prior to that. One point I do want to make is the fact that not every new car is definitely an enthusiast car either. So there's plenty of cars that miss the mark, even if they are sporty targeted, um, which is also one of those things, right? Like if you buy like a car from the sixties, there's that sort of raw, like, could this car die on me? But all there's all these noises and awesome things going on that keep you engaged as yep. well that you don't have in modern cars because they're so quiet yep. um, or 
so reliable so you'll pretty much know that 99 percent of the time if your car is not super high mileage you're probably going to make it to your destination now, half the adventure used to be getting there now half the adventure right. is when you're already there because you know you're gonna get there yes right exactly so there is a little bit of stuff that's lost it's not to say there aren't modern cars that have fantastic steering geometry and things i know the alfa romeo julia and the stelvio are both pretty praised pretty well obviously bmw is still known as the ultimate mm -hmm. driving machine um even the cadillac ct5 i was actually listening to something the other day about how people are really liking that car and they really like the steering handle of it and compare it to all of the german competitors which mm -hmm. seems wild um, that uh, the Americans are figuring out steering. <laughs> well, they've been Cadillac's been trying to make a caddy that zigs since the Katerra in '94. So <laughs> it's taken them what's that? Almost 30 years. Let's, Wait, uh, and I got I can vouch for the CT4 V Blackwing because I've heard that one's better that. actually than the CT5 as from like a driving and enjoyable because the CT5 is unusable because it's too much. Yeah, it is a ton of power. Now, I haven't driven the Blackwing version of it, but as far as just the regular V versions, I've driven both of those, and I, I preferred the CT4V to the to the CT5, uh, although the trade-off, obviously, is the back seat. But, yeah, I, I preferred the uh, dimensions and the dynamics of the CT4V, and mm -hmm. I've driven the Blackwing version, and that that thing was a hoot i mean a lot of power great steering uh just all of the dynamics everything seemed balanced and you know tuned and in line with each other and how would you compare that to some of the other modern sedans you've driven since you've driven a bunch is it your favorite or um i really liked that um i i've got a soft spot it's been several years but i drove the 2018 bmw m5 and that was a great all-arounder now uh, it didn't have a stick like the ct4 v blackwing but i mean it just everything you expect a sedan and a high performance car to be able to do that pretty much had it i mean it was comfortable but it had a great sound ton of power great steering you know progressive easy to modulate brakes i mean there was no you know unrefined part of it you know everything was just it, it did what you wanted it to to do and expected it to do very well Okay, so I think the CT4 is cool, but the CT5 has got a big V8, and you missed that sound. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I, I don't get me wrong; like, you know, it is a ton of power, and there's always a chance that you could leave a lot of that on the table, depending on where you drive it. But do I want to drive the CT5 V Blackwing? Definitely, yeah. I, I heard somebody else recently talking about the kind of the difference between the two, and they're like, CT4 is great, the CT5 was great the ct4 was probably more livable but part of the excitement of the ct5 blackwing was like you might spin it just trying to go get groceries <laughs> yeah <laughs> so <laughs> yeah the other thing i've heard about the ct5 is that the gearing is ridiculous i've heard that first tops out at like 53 oh, i wouldn't be surprised and so second takes you to 80 something and then <laughs> yeah, third like a is 100 and like 20 and so the the, the talk was hey um, first of all, if you're going to make these gears this long, why should we first should go to 60 so we can save our whatever three tenths and get, have a faster zero to 60 time match the automatics. Yep. Um, and it was second of all, like who's going to enjoy driving this thing. If well, you can only get the, the new, second on your way to the grocery well, store. That's why the new Z car, the new uh, Nissan Z is faster in an automatic form because you, the gear, the way the gearing is in the manual, like the quarter mile time is faster right. in the automatic because you have to shift a third yes. time. Yeah. So unfortunate, but, but who cares? Nobody's buying the car to go run quarter miles. It's so about the driving experience, it's about the driving experience, obviously the about the manual, but anyway, going back to your point in general about modern era being the best for cars and. I think even on the bottom end of cars, you know, we joked about the Versa, but 
as a bottom level car, that car still comes car. standard probably with air conditioning and multi-speed L- wipers and rear defrost and things that used to get advertised. Automatic transmission is probably standard Stuff now, that honestly. was options in the 80s even. I mean, in the 80s, you would still see manufacturers put a badge in the back of the car that said automatic transmission because it was still like a novel thing for an economy car to have. Yeah, and so fuel injection. And they were getting fuel much injection. better. Yeah. Of course, automatics are getting much better. They were terrible in the yes. 80s. And then they switched to CVTs, and they were terrible. But now we're getting these, you know, 7, 8, 9, 10-speed automatics. They're all a lot better. Well, and I still prefer them, but they're a lot better. Touching on Nissan, they seem to be making a shift away from CVTs with certain vehicles About to traditional, time. like, 9-speed <laughs> yeah, automatics. CVTs yeah. are no good. About time. <laughs> not fun. Yeah, they are not fun. So, anyway, I just remember, oh, what I remember I have, I, I, I have a certain love for old economy cars because they're super light and they're super dumb and they're super fun but like my 1978 dodge colt is a very fun car to drive by modern standards Mm -hmm. because it's essentially the same suspension setup as like a sports car at the time like it's a leaf sprung solid rear axle your recirculating ball steering it might as well be an mgb gt you know what i mean it's kind of the same kind of setup underneath it's got mcpherson struts in the front it's got a little four speed it's fun to drive but it's it's it was marketed as an economy car so it has two speed wipers it has on and on a little bit faster there's no intermittent there's no like multiple speed differences you know the rear defrost was optional like <laughs> it's got crank windows at am radio like there's not a lot of it has more options than a lot of economy cars at the time did. It has reclining seats. They advertise that huge. Oh, seats recline. Locking glove box. Actually, no, that one doesn't lock, but still. <laughs> so something you said there made me think of something, and you're probably going to wonder how did he get this from what I just said, Sure, uh, but it's, it's fine. Um, another great thing about certain cars, like 80s cars, for example, that certain 60s cars will struggle with, not all of them, but certain 60s cars will struggle with, is also trying to keep up with modern traffic. And that's kind of a weird thing to consider when you think about cars, but in 80s, uh, most 80s cars will have no problem keeping up with modern traffic. Now, I would say most 60s sports cars would probably be fine keeping up in traffic as well, but a lot of people have to change their gearing from the muscle cars. A A lot of sports cars are four speeds. A lot of the MGs, the Triumphs, for, I mean, maybe your Ferraris and high-end sports cars, sure, but a 356 mm-hmm. wouldn't be good in modern traffic on the highway. The, the gearing is... Let's put it this way. I drove a 1983 uh, Plymouth Sapporo, which is a Mitsubishi Galant, the rest of the world, from Boston, Massachusetts to Phoenix. And I did it like a normal car. There was no slow drive the whole way here. It was... The speed limit was 75. We're doing 75 to 80 question mark the whole way <laughs> <laughs> the speed speedometer goes to 85 so if it was beyond 85 i have no idea but the fact of the matter is it was doing it you know and it's just, that's just an old school three-speed automatic and it did just fine i wouldn't be able to make that drive Your gas the mileage same. might suffer no it did pretty well actually what, uh, mid, what's mid how many 20s. speeds is that it's a three-speed really yeah but the third gear is like an overdrive almost and it's it just goes along the road pretty well. It's a good highway car because of how it's geared. Right. Now, the 1978 Colt that I was just talking about is a four-speed, and it's a four-speed manual, and all four gears are kind of close together, and at 65, you turn in the car at 4,000-plus RPM, and you don't want to oh. do that between 3,000 miles of driving because it'll blow it up. Does your Colt Great. have the uh, four-cylinder, I'm forgetting the name of it, the anti-vibration 
does not have a balance shaft. Balance shaft. It's only a one. They only put that in the larger engines. The right. Colt engine is a one point six. It's another argument for the eighties, by the way. So Mitsubishi is the one that made uh, this technology was around earlier, mm-hmm. but Mitsubishi is the one that made the best example of a balance shaft sure. that works the best and would later be used in things like the nine forty four, sure. which used Mitsubishi technology. And that's the four that I drove across country does have that because that was a two point six G fifty four B. It has a chain driven cam and it mm-hmm. has a chain driven balance shaft. So. Anyway. Technology invented in the mid seventies. That would be early seventies. Was it? Yep. I thought it was like seventy four. I don't know. Maybe I, we were talking ten years. It's hard to define yeah, the uh, middle uh, from yeah. early. But well, we are talking decades here. So sure, in the seventies. Anyway, so your, your your pick is modern cars. Uh, I'd probably have to pick sixties because God, do I love sixties Ferraris all right, so we're all picking 60s. and muscle cars. <laughs> but I wanted to make I do like I, somebody argument. had to be devil's I, advocate, I do and like I wanted to point out that you. I, I mean, eighties seems semi-obvious because we're in the current hype period for the eighties. I think that no matter when this podcast was recorded, if if podcasts were a thing in the eighties or the nineties or the early two thousands or the sixties, whatever the most recent decade is, mm-hmm. is technically the best decade for cars because. Uh, the technology's there. You're making a better vehicle. It's, it's That's true. If we're not improving, you then we're doing something wrong. vehicles to use them in modern day stuff, right? There's electronic ignition is pretty doable on all those vehicles. I wasn't talking about systems. that, but yes, you can make a oh. 60s car as new. So what I'm saying is, Gearing. what I'm saying is if, if podcasts were a thing in 1988 and we're recording this in 1988, then yeah, objectively the best cars available would be the ones you can go down the dealership and buy right now because they yeah. have the technology over the 60s cars, and they're et more cetera. So, yeah. but anyway, as an enthusiast podcast, screw these new cars. <laughs> Let's go back hey, to the 60s. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> Sorry, Derek. I, we do like them. We I, just well, I, I can buy a bunch of old junk. I can't buy a bunch of new cars. So yeah, I feel you. Unfortunately, I think Brad, you might be the only one with a 60s vehicle. I have 80s, 90s, and 2000s currently. Yeah, possibly. So you might be the only one with the 60s. Vehicle. I have every decade in the, office. in the office. Actually, you might be the only. No, no there's that's a few not in the true. Office. There's a few. Yeah. Yep. Because, yeah, one of our guys has got a, a Nova. 60s Nova, yeah. Yeah, there's a couple of 60s cars. Sweet Nova, yeah. But I, I think the sweet spot, and it probably has a lot to do with the general age of most of our employees, you know, are all millennial age, we mostly. We modern amenities. But, yeah. They are nice. Because we, do, we don't get into our, our studio apartment. that are younger than Derek and I all have, <laughs> you know, they're all in their 20s, and that means that the vintage car to them is the 80s. Um, where, to me, a vintage car is pre-80s because i grew up in the 80s so 80s were just cars that were around you know so i mean listen i have 80s cars it's collector cars i have that 944 much like yourself i have a 90s car as a collector car my my first gen eclipse but to me i mean i was in high school when first gen eclipse were on dealership lots so i don't look at them as a vintage car i look Mm -hmm. at it as a car that i wanted then but couldn't buy (laughs) and now i have it as a nostalgia nostalgia thing there you go that's the secret you want to know what cars to buy for future investments buy the car you wanted in high school that's really responsible that's what it always has been it's it's nostalgia is the wave we all ride when it comes to anything like Mm -hmm. who cares again not telling saying that you know modern cars are significantly better than 60s cars 100 percent they are there's no reason to own a 60s car unless you have a passion for it whether it be nostalgia or whatever where you so, own a modern daily car that won't break on you like your 60s car well you should do that or you can be yeah. like me and sell your modern daily car and just and have nothing nine, but old cars yeah <laughs> have nine old cars that way when one of them breaks you know you've got eight others that may or may not be working well you just take the one that has air conditioning because we live in phoenix next question which one won't overheat because you live in phoenix next question <laughs> 
I only overheated once on the way home from work. Twice. Once. A couple times. Maybe <laughs> once. In the cold. Okay, a, a dozen speed. times. <laughs> because a four-speed, and I was in the highway revving it at 4,000 RPM. Yeah, the only time I've had a vehicle overheat on me is because a Chinese fuse failed, and the plastic melted before the mm-hmm. filament failed, and so my cooling fans turned off, and my car puked cooling everywhere. Yep, it happens. Yep. Don't buy cheap fuses. Don't buy cheap electronics Not in buy general. cars. They have clutch fans, and you're all good. All right, moving on. Next question. Uh, I've got a couple good ones here. For the sake of not wanting to draw out too much of an argument, who makes the best V8? Ferrari. I was almost going to argue the uh, Mustang 5.2, which is technically two different engines because there's the Voodoo and then there's the GT500. 5.2 or 5 as well? 5.2. What's the 5.2? So, um, the GT350 mm-hmm. um, has a 5.2 liter engine that's okay. referred to as the Voodoo. And then the GT500 also has a 5.2 liter engine that's essentially based off the Voodoo, but it's technically I not the I just said Ferrari because Ferrari V8 is what you hear. And, and you it's go, a flat plane oh, crank, which is also what not the every Ferrari Mustang 5.2 is, is also a flat plane crank. And you can't tell me that how distinctive a GT350 or GT500 is. I'm not even talking about all the Ferraris are flat plane cranks. I'm talking about like an F40, like just all of these. That's a good one. The Ferrari, 3.8, Ferrari V8s liter. just sound amazing. They always 3.8. have. Ferrari never made a bad sounding V8. So that's why I just said Ferrari. I don't think they've ever made a bad that's on the sound. engine true that's not fair ferrari should be off the table when it comes to making best <laughs> engines because obviously the answer is ferrari who has the best v12 ferrari obviously yeah <laughs> anyway ferrari oh aston martin has some good sounding v8s they do the ferrari what are they what's the the 4.7 v8 the jaguar as well one. yes yeah oh good. man yeah that's that's the 4.7 liter v8 yeah. is good jag has some good i, I don't love V8s. the modern v8 sounds i don't love the corvette sound i don't love um, the mopar sound i don't love the mustang sounds they just sound i maybe because everyone i hear that i actually hear is just loud to be loud because that's the trend now with the modern muscle cars but i just i don't think they sound good for the sake of making it into a different argument i'm gonna say a chevy 350 yeah, it's it's the most common. It's, it's the most common. It's the you can find parts for it everywhere. Play. It's easy to make horsepower. It's available in tons of affordable vehicles mm-hmm. or junkyards mm-hmm. that you can pick up for very cheap. And if you want a V8, I mean, there's so many different things you could do with them to change the way they sound as well. So that's I think that's the definitive answer. Kind of like how the best sports car is Miata. Or maybe Corvette. If Miata's you want to go the best sports car. Miata's best affordable sports car. Miata's the best cheap runabout sports car. Yeah. To do everything car, do a lot of things. And that's car. not arguable, by the way, for those of you listening. It's the answer is always Miata. Chris set listen. in stone, right? Well, Chris isn't here. Yeah, well, yeah, that would Chris is wrong. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, guys. Uh in the interest of moving things forward, mm-hmm. um, what is your pick of the week from the from the site? This is way too easy, actually. I thought I was gonna struggle with this, but it's way too easy. Okay, then start if you're that confident. Nineteen eighty seven Porsche nine twenty eight S four. It's automatic. I don't care. It has the cool wing and it's got some cool wheels. It has Recaro seats and it is the greatest color of all time. Okay. And it has a V8 on the topic of our conversation today. It also has a V8. It has an automatic transmission. So by the way, this four speed manual transmission that's in here is also automatic the same transmission. transmission. Yep. Automatic transmission. It's also the same transmission that was in the early R129 Mercedes. Interesting. Um, SLs. So um, before they switched to the five speed with the 99. I'm surprised. I'm not surprised you picked a Porsche. Well, I hate that I did that, but it's a cool car. It's I am S4. surprised you picked that car because of the transmission choice. I thought you would hold back and go with something no. else. Derek, do you have a car? Uh, yeah, um, I that was on my list, that uh, 928. So I'm going to go with uh, one of the alternates. Um, actually, this was at the top of the the 
928 was right under it. 1962 Lincoln Continental. The, the maroon one. Yes. I like that one. I love the yeah. color, love the lines, and then I even love the uh, the aftermarket wheels on here. You know, they're black wheels with the, uh, the uh, chrome center caps. It has this, it looks like a cross between a government agent car and a mobster's car. And then, yeah, just the big body, the, you know, the solid lines. I, I just love the looks of this thing. That car is neat. It's got some modifications that are a personal choice um, that I'm not saying are right or wrong. Mm-hmm. I just don't love them. And it turns me away from that car a little bit. Um, I don't love the wheels. I don't love the headlights, but that's okay. It's not my car. Uh, it is a nice car, though, and that's a good choice. Um, my choice is probably going to irritate people in this room. Austin Haley. No, I really like the 1984 Mustang convertible. Oh, Oh, okay. I, it's a early Fox body. It's a four headlight car with the exposed grill. It's the GT350 of its time. It's a cool yep. color combo. It's a manual transmission. It has the original TRX style wheels on it. It has the single side dual exit exhaust. Can't um, go wrong with that. It's just a cool car of the era. It's not going to be fast, but it's got to make the right sounds. And with a top down, just kind of a top-down cruiser with a 5-liter V8 burble, I can kind of handle that. You and it's got 13,000 miles. And play Vanilla Ice. And, and it has, well, it's p- way pre-Vanilla Ice car. Um, but also, yes, it has 13,000 miles, so it's a nice car. Uh, on the same note, there is a 5-liter, you know, later... I was just about to bring that up and be a corporate chill. 1991 LX have convertible the on the site at the same time, which is the same car, which is white with the maroon interior. Yep. That car's an automatic that turns me away from it a little bit it has the more modern nose on it which is preferred by a lot but i, I like, like it better i yep. like the square headlight nose the, the four-eyed fox they call it um the only car i'd pick beyond that if i were to buy one of the currently live fox bodies would be the cobra but for sake of argument and my and my wallet could more likely bear uh not saying that you know cars more expensive or less expensive but we all know that a Cobra is worth a good chunk of change, and I think yes. I would buy that '84 Mustang just because I think that it has the most potential for future collectability as far as value rise, because they haven't really hit, and the Cobras have, and I think it's going to be the most bang for the buck out of all three of those because you get the manual, you get the convertible, you get the five liter. It'll just be fun. And plus, 1984 was a great year. Uh, yes, I, 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 1984 is I about, agree, Derek. <laughs> that is that might be the best thing I've ever heard said on this podcast. 1984 <laughs> is about when I started having memories and what in my life. So you'll probably I'll agree with you. I'll agree with you. <laughs> Did you see my car drive by, Brad? Uh, no. Okay, I just figured. Uh, you know, because you bought you bought an '84 as well, right? My car is also an '84 as well. Yes. What a great year! It was a great year. What a great year! Except my sister was born, so it wasn't all great. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> can't win them all. Sorry, Jen. <laughs> and dad, you know I'm kidding. Because they're going to listen. Oh, Jen probably will. My dad will. But he knows I'm kidding. Anyway, uh, that's all for today. I think we're going to end it on that note. Yep. So thanks for listening, everybody. Again, don't forget, log on to autohunter.com. Look at what we got for sale. If you want to sell a car, come our way. Sign up for the emails so you'll get advance notice of what's going live, when it's going live, and get to see what you might want to buy. Also join classiccars.com and look at the listings there. And if you don't want to do an auction, list your car there. Other than that, we'll see you all next week. It will not be three weeks from now. Episode nine will be next week. Unless unforeseen circumstances happen, then it won't be. But we're planning on it. We're knocking wood right here. 
I guess this and is a good time to tell you I'm taking a one month vacation in Italy. Next week we will still do the episode. You'll but be Derek will not be there. Yeah, you'll be the new <laughs> co-host. <laughs> all right, guys, that's all. Have a great day. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next time. Bye, y'all. Bye.